0: what the actual fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians yours truly sammy previtt owner of fine food freedom and jenna warner owner of happy strong healthy we can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body we are also here to share And grow. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork Podcast. Today we had Molly Forbes on the pod. She is a journalist, campaigner, and nonprofit founder. She's the author of the book Body Happy Kids How to Help Children and Teens Love the Skin They're In, and the founding director of the Body Happy Organization CIC, a social enterprise dedicated to promoting. Positive body image in children. You can also find Molly on Instagram at Molly J Forbes and her organization's Instagram is at body happy org.
1: This episode was honestly, Sam and I always write notes and questions that we want to ask the people that we're interviewing before the episode. And we did ask most of our questions, but The more stuff that came up during this episode, just authentically in conversation was so powerful. And this episode, yes, we talk a lot about kids and body image, but it's so much more than that. And we go over just everything from being a parent and your own relationship with your body and how to bridge that gap together and manage and kind of walk through this space with children, but it's also, and I say this a couple of times because it's also really powerful if you do not have children, if you never wanna have children um, or if you are around children even. um, We talk about the power of words and just how our words matter and how it impacts those little ears.
0: Yeah, it's it was definitely a good one. And there's so much information in here. <laughs> Uh, We shared this on the episode, but I think it's good to share it in the intro too, that this is our last recording before I leave for maternity leave. So it was like such a perfect one because there was so much about like mothering and parenting in here, kind of not even planning that really though. So Molly is just absolutely freaking amazing. And she kicks off the episode in such a great way when we ask her, her, what the actual fork moment um she took it like a different direction of like a beautiful <laughs> moment that yeah, stopped her in her tracks moment. which I thought was so cool because we usually take it like the negative direction which we're going to do right now um so I thought like the episode started really beautifully um so I'm excited for everybody to hear that but let's get into our personal what the actual fork moments so Jenna, I'll ask you, what has been your recent, what the actual fork moment this week?
1: It's funny because I was sitting in my car. I took a yoga class on Sunday. Today's Tuesday. So I took a yoga class on Sunday and I was early and I was sitting in my car, just like scrolling. As one does. And every fucking video that I saw, I just felt the anxiety rising of like, how do people think this shit is real? And like, why does it continue to go viral? And one in particular that it upset me. It wasn't even that it stopped me in my tracks, but it upset me to the point that like, the way that other people may have internalized the message that was being shared. Like I needed to say something to stop it um, or to stop it to whoever was going to see it. But there was a video of this woman who is healing her own chronic illness, quote unquote. And she was talking about clean versus crappy foods found at Costco. And every comparison that she made was like, the clean quote-unquote version heavy air quotes was 16 times more expensive than the quote-unquote crappy option. And I just found that so disappointing and frustrating that the idea of moral value and your status is tied to the foods that you're purchasing at the grocery store. And I want everybody here listening today to understand that that is factually inaccurate. Like there is zero zero research behind anything that she was saying. And listen, if she wants to share her preferences, that's fine. But when things are being put out there with this clean versus crappy, the, what's the right word? The uh, the undertones of that message can't be denied. And so for anyone that has seen that video, there's like millions of views on it. So I'm sure some of you have, you know, please know that the foods that you choose to put in your body do not define you. And like, that's it.
0: Yeah, that's shitty so dumb like it's it's just crazy the shit that's out there and it's like sometimes I get angry even talking about it because like I don't even want to bring light to it but like you said it's important too because people internalize those messages and um sometimes we forget like not everyone thinks the way we do or knows the things we know um I'll go with one that we both did because I feel like it's like just fucking hilarious I honestly don't even remember what he said, but I just remember seeing this video of this oh, yeah, dude. Oh,
1: come on, intro it. With <laughs> all of
0: his like stats, like what he eats in a day, what his macros are, what he bench presses, what he weighs, what probably what his height is. I don't know. Um, and it was like a raw, he's like a raw vegan. And um, I was just, I I don't even like, I mean, I was just I couldn't stop laughing. I was like choking while I was eating my oatmeal, like responding to it. But I was more so laughing, just think it's slash feeling really bad for any human being who's actively dating. I just kept picturing this guy like going on a date and like sliding like these stats across the table and being like, I haven't, you know, ate cooked food in four years. And like, it's just wild what people the
1: bench, think. The bench press stat is so funny. I forgot about that.
0: Yeah. Like that's just like slid in there along with his food. Um, so I just think it comes back to like, like no one gives a fuck. (laughs) Like nobody cares what you're eating. Um, you're allowed to have preferences, right? Like, and I think that's something like, if there are any vegans or vegetarians listening to this, like you are allowed to have food preferences. If you are a vegan or vegetarian for moral or ethical reasons. Now, if you're a more, if you are a, vegetarian or vegan and you think that you are a better human being than other humans like eh, nope doesn't work that way um food doesn't change our morality as humans but of course like if you have preferences right or for animal rights purposes or whatever like totally different conversation um but anyways so that one I don't even know if it's like a what the actual fork moment it was more so just like made me laugh my ass off like
1: your reaction was so funny I was cracking up (laughs) like so dumb so dumb hard so for everybody listening just a reminder to put on your like bullshit detector goggles You're on social media, specifically TikTok. Um, Specifically TikTok. And I'm going to just hop in and I want to wish you, on behalf of the entire What the Actual Fork family and every listener, the smoothest, easiest labor. Um, And we cannot wait to meet this baby girl. Thank you so much, and yes, I cannot
0: wait. I need to order like a what the actual fork onesie and a fine food freedom onesie. That's like I've been. I, I'll randomly think about that and then I like forget. So I need to do that.
1: I had um, one a happy, strong, healthy one and it was obviously pink and I never put it on Noah. I don't know why but I never put it on him I think I still have it I'll save it for number two one day
0: I was gonna say (laughs) no matter what if if there is a number two no matter what the gender that will be so cute on them but I think that's why I was like so like I was like oh she's having a girl because like I remember seeing your logo um and so it's just it's wild but yes she's gonna be so blessed to be welcomed into these fun families and on the note of having children and having babies perfect segue into Molly's episode because we talk about all things parenting and body image and the influence we have on the lives of children so enjoy this episode Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. Thank you, Molly, so much for being here with us today.
2: Oh, Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're
0: so excited to spend our afternoon and your evening with you. Um, (laughs) And we love to kind of kick off this podcast asking a question that... There's unfortunately many answers to, um, but in the body image space, because I know we're going to talk a lot of things, body image today, we would love to, to ask what was the most recent or profound moment uh, that has happened to you lately that stopped you in your tracks and made you say what the actual fork is going on here related to body image or anything in that realm? Yeah. Um.
2: So I guess, recently um, I just said before we started recording that um, we're currently going through this big house renovation and it's so boring it's all I can talk about at the moment so apologies in advance but um, because of that I have had really limited mental capacity to be thinking about meals and meal planning and what we're going to eat as a family and I really love to cook in normal circumstances I enjoy cooking I quite enjoy like planning what meals we're going to have as a family but that has all gone out of the window. And so we have been mainly existing on convenience food, going to you know, buying those like takeaway boxes from the supermarket that we have over here where you can get like a, a box of like that you just chuck it in the oven and it's like Chinese food or Indian food or whatever. Um or like the other night we had a late night trip to IKEA and by the time we got home it would have been really late. So we got McDonald's for tea that night and it's literally just whatever we can grab beans on toast you know easy throw in the oven put in the toaster kind of food and I had this revelation I was thinking about this just I think as we were driving home eating McDonald's in the car that um a few years ago that would have been an intense feeling of it would have brought up some real feelings of shame and guilt for me not necessarily because I felt bad about eating that kind of food myself because I had you know kind of put moral judgment on that kind of food but that I was feeding my family that kind of food and um, I had this sort of revelation recently of how insidious diet culture is and how, how much it had got me as a parent that not only was I equating you know back then like oh you're you know you're a bad you you're so lazy why don't you cook you know but also equating my own parenting so much with what I was feeding my children when actually at the moment it is literally we're doing that out of necessity because we're trying to make our house nice and we're I mean anytime that I'm not at my laptop or parenting my kids, like taking them to school or taking them to the park. I've got a paintbrush in my hand. And I haven't got time to like whip up a fresh meal from scratch or even like go to the supermarket and you know, think about like all the food that we're gonna have. And I just thought, how bad is that? That that in all these in all the ways that we're made to feel bad as parents, and all the ways that we, particularly as, as women and mothers. all the pressures that we put on ourselves actually at the moment I am doing the best that I can in in a really like difficult situation and that you know I felt so happy that I wasn't at this moment in my life equating any kind of moral judgment with the food that we're eating and I wasn't berating myself and I wasn't feeling shame or guilt I was just like yeah whatever this is what we're eating um but that wouldn't have been the case in years gone by and yeah I mean there's so much wrapped up there isn't there like you know stand like parenting standards and patriarchal standards that we have to live up to as women and mothers and the emotional like mental burden of thinking about food and that's you know before we've even got into kind of anti-fat bias and weight stigma and diet culture like it was a very profound McDonald's moment (laughs) So I was eating my Big Mac and fries.
0: <laughs>
1: that yeah. There's so much that Sam and I are going to follow up with about this because that was so profound and amazing. <laughs> um, so thank you for sharing that. And congratulations to you for your growth. I mean, I think that's really important for us to say, because I think we can both relate to that in different ways. And the example that you just gave, I know so many others can relate to. Um, but before we dive deep into more things about these diet culture topics, we would love to hear more about you and your history and connection to diet culture, about your book that we haven't introduced yet, and the passion behind it, and really what brought you to a space to write it and you know share this information with the world.
2: Yeah. Um. So I'm 38. I'm a mom of two. I've got two daughters. My eldest is 11 going on 12 at the end of next month she'll be 12 and my youngest is seven and I have worked in this space and this kind of body image space for the last few years um I like every other human being (laughs) every other person I know um has you know having the past been wrapped up in diet culture and been you know back in my late teens early 20s right throughout kind of my early years as a mum on and off diets, very much equated health with, it was all about nutrition, it was all about movement. Um, It was all about um, this idea that you can tell how healthy someone is just by looking at them. Um, And although I kind of got wise to the fact that diets weren't really the one, you know, and they, they, they were kind of old hat, I think even when I told myself I wasn't dieting, I would told myself it was quote unquote, like a lifestyle change or like healthy living or whatever. It absolutely was about intense restriction. And looking back, it was often at points in my life when I felt a little bit out of control. So I was looking to kind of seek some control elsewhere or gain some sense of self-worth through trying to manipulate my body shape and have control over what I was eating and how I was moving my body so like I guess the most recent time and this was kind of the last time and my sort of light bulb moment was when my youngest daughter was a baby and we'd moved to a new part of the UK so we'd relocated to a new area I'd changed jobs I'd previously worked as a radio presenter and a freelance journalist in a real buzzy kind of media environment and then we moved to the countryside to the other side of the UK and suddenly everything had changed and I was a new mum again I had a new baby you know we were like I was doing the school run and it's like tractors and chickens everywhere it was just totally different and what I tried to do was try and regain some feeling of control and boost my feelings of kind of wanting to be I guess, wanting to feel seen really in the way that I had before by trying to kind of, um, you know, get my pre-baby body back, whatever that means. You know, it was almost like, if I can get my pre-baby body back, I could get my pre-baby life back. And I think I I actually didn't realize that at the time, but I think with hindsight and a little bit of therapy, (laughs) I realize now that that's what I was trying to do. But I also realised that um, I didn't want that for my daughters. So when my eldest daughter asked me, you know, why wasn't eating the same meal that everyone else was eating? I think I wrote about this in my book. It was she asked me literally why I was wearing spinach. And I didn't have a rational answer or didn't have an answer that I felt comfortable giving to her. Um, So in that moment, that was sort of, where I realized what am I doing (laughs) this isn't this isn't healthy this isn't good I'm not happy I'm miserable all the time there's got to be another way and then I started really you know going on a bit of a mission and learning about all the amazing you know things that I just had very luckily because because I'm a straight-sized white woman I had been completely not aware of you know Um, I hadn't experienced firsthand weight stigma you know I'd I'd probably witnessed it in ways without having realized it you know Um, but I hadn't experienced that discrimination firsthand Um, and I'm a liberal person and I think it really shocked and surprised and I felt a certain amount of shame when I started learning about it that I hadn't been aware of, of how pervasive this issue is and and then um, I started campaigning around um, well I started um, interviewing because I was a journalist I started interviewing people and using my kind of platform that I'd built up blogging and writing about parenting to then start writing about this issue and interviewing people and um, I was picked to be a co-host on. There were eight, eight of us, and we were hosts on a TV show back in. Came out in the UK in 2019, and that was all around body image. And then I started campaigning on around the way that um, diet products and diet brands were allowed to market around schools and children's clubs in the UK, um, because I was really shocked that there were no, there weren't tighter regulations. And that sort of led to what I'm doing today, which is I run a nonprofit called the Body Happy Organization, and I wrote a book called Body Happy Kids, how to help children and teens love the skin they're in. Um, and that was all that that has it's all kind of organically that experience has organically brought me to where we are today, where we're doing you know, workshops with people that work with kids and um, going into schools and doing workshops with kids and still writing about this issue and just wanting to be part of changing the culture, you know, um, very much working alongside other amazing people who are doing amazing work in this space as well.
0: You are doing such amazing work and so many cool things too. There's so many like things I want to ask you about. Um, (laughs) But one thing I thought that was so profound that you shared and it, and it sounds like it was like a really pivotal moment in your story is when your daughter asked you why you were weighing spinach. And you're like, it just, I didn't even have an answer. I wanted to give her. And I think so many parents can relate. I know Jenna and I as dietitians and intuitive eating counselors, like we get so many DMS from parents that start to recognize how entrenched they are in diet culture they have children. They don't want to, to pass on the diet culture trauma through the generations. So I would love to ask you, and I know this you know totally comes back to your book, for, for any parents that are listening who are, are recognizing that their relationship with food and body is struggling, right They have this negative relationship with their own body, but they want to raise body happy kids where should they start, or what tips do you have for them?
2: It's so overwhelming, isn't it? And I think that I'm always really hesitant when people ask me this to sort of, there's no one-size-fits-all approach to this subject, and everyone's roots will be different. And for me, my route into it was learning about appearance ideals and diet culture and reading books like Naomi Wolf's The Beauty Myth and really learning about you know thinking about it from a a kind of feminist lens because that that's where my own kind of learning and you know degrees and stuff had had that's kind of where my route into it was I wish now that actually I had really come at it from a much more obvious place of looking at it through fat positive lens and and coming at it from a a place of really understanding what weight stigma was and anti-fat bias because all of these subjects are all of the all of these issues are so interconnected and i think that it it took me too long to get there to get to the the point where i was starting to um prioritize those subjects so I think that the first thing is, I think that don't be overwhelmed by the amount of information and resources out there, because there is a lot of information and resources and go at your own pace and um, give yourself some grace because there is, um, you know, we're living in this culture and it is so pervasive and it's insidious and it's everywhere and it's all around us. Um, So try and, and. Just give yourself a bit of a break and and <laughs> and accept that it's not an it's not an overnight job to unlearn this stuff. Um, but do start getting curious and inquisitive and thinking about where some of your own thoughts about um, you know what makes a person healthy, um, where have they come from, who shaped that, how have your own experiences. Um, shaped the decisions that you're making around you know the food that you're feeding your family for example I I think that I sort of thought about these ideas and in the beginning as this like outside concept and I didn't do very much internal examination and actually while it is a systemic issue and it's a cultural issue we're all people and we're all part of this system and we're all part of this culture and it took me a while to connect the dots I think Um, But one thing I would say is that you don't have to have, I mean, I feel this really strongly. You don't have to have your own relationship with your body all figured out in order to raise body happy children. You can raise children who are at peace and friends and content in their body without being at a place where you're experiencing that contentment yourself necessarily. I think the most obvious thing is don't voice um, your own body dissatisfaction necessarily in front of your children so don't body shame yourself don't body shame other people don't talk about um bodies in a way um in a negative way you know really promote this message with your kids that all bodies are good bodies um and really if you find that a difficult statement then that is probably indicative that you're holding some anti-fat bias that you can really start to examine um and i think that just kind of really being mindful of the way that we speak about bodies and the way that we speak about health and the way that we speak about movement and food in just a really neutral way and and thinking about health in a really holistic way can be really Beneficial for the way that you are raising your kids in terms of their own relationships with their bodies.
1: Thank you for that. Sorry, I couldn't unmute fast enough. And this question is not on our question list that Sam and I share, but it just came to me as I was thinking: I have a son who's 16 months old, and at each doctor's appointment, and I don't know when this stops. So this could be like null and void, but at each doctor's appointment, like one of the first things the doctor or the nurse shares with me, I mean, he's too young to understand now is like his statistics, right? Like where he is on the growth chart. Um, I don't know where, when that ends or if it's the same by you, but do you think that conversation that like, which has been ingrained in us like raising children since they were born, like literally when they're born, it's the first statistic that they tell you about your child is their their weight, their height, their length and their head circumference and what those percentages are compared to the national averages. Like, Do you think there's a connection to these conversations in the healthcare system to the body image growth for our children?
2: That's such a a good question and a really good point, I think, because I think that comes back to what we were talking about right at the beginning in terms of the pressures that particularly um, mothers um, and and women are, are put under. There's a real, it's a really emotive thing, how we feed our children right from the early days when they're babies, you know, and we can often place a huge amount of um, shame around the way that we feed our kids. And it can be a really divisive subject. And it's almost like, I remember back, you know, when my children were babies and they were being weighed and you'd get a well done if they put on weight Um, and they they were following where they should be following on the growth chart. And you'd get a pat on the back and you'd go off thinking like, I'm doing a good job and I was breastfeeding and I remember the midwife or the, the health visitor we have over here in the UK health visitors and I remember her saying to me that's all you you're doing a good job that's all you and I remember feeling so virtuous you know and so pleased with myself and you know I'm not saying that that wasn't deserved because I was you know I, I was you know i get getting up at all hours and looking after my baby but actually in whatever circumstances I'd been looking after my child I would have been doing a good job and if my child hadn't have been following the line that she should or should not have been following you know this supposed magic line I still would have been doing a good job and I should have still been feeling proud and virtuous and however I was feeding my baby and I think that right in those early days like as a parent you know that your job is to keep your child safe warm you know fed loved and those are like the most basic things and so we start attaching mor- moral judgment to the issue of feeding right from before they're even born you know we're thinking we're making these decisions before we even have our children and before they are even in the world and I think that absolutely for me um my own personal experience when my children are babies and I'm being really clear about this was my experience because everyone's experience is so different but I ended up breastfeeding both of my children and I'd I I'd made the decision that I wanted to breastfeed and I was lucky in many ways because I didn't face many issues with breastfeeding and I had relatively straightforward labors and everything was kind of fine in that sense and then I made the decision to do baby led weaning when they started going through weaning so I had always had to trust that they go by their hunger and fullness cues because I couldn't physically see how much milk they were getting from my breast. You know, I had no way to measure. Um, And I was, you know, feeding them with response to when they were crying, when they were hungry. There was no schedule for me, that was just how I did it. And with baby led weaning as well, you can't really get a sense of how much they're eating. And it's sort of a really gradual thing. So I was really going by their cues. And the thing that I used to find difficult was if we would be out and about with other people or I would have these doctor's appointments or older relatives would say, well, how much is she getting? Is she getting enough? Is she eating enough? you know, oh, she should eat some more of that or should you, you know, feed her, maybe drop the milk feeds. And, you know, it was this kind of outside interference. And I felt really strongly as a mum that my baby knew, both of my babies knew what they needed. Um, And I know that isn't the case for everyone, but for for me, that was the case and and, and it worked for us. Um, But what I found hard was the other outside kind of comments around that and actually that is still the case now because I know that the way that I approach food with my kids is still at odds with how many people do it (laughs) and and that's still something I have to have quite clear boundaries about and often you know tricky conversations sometimes with the other people who are involved in my kids care
0: Can I just say really quick, I don't think that Molly knows this, but this is my last day of work. And then I go on maternity leave um, and my baby is due like any moment, my baby girl. Um, So that was just like such a beautiful thing to hear from you. And Jenna and I were like nodding our heads the entire time. And I definitely want to pass the mic to Jenna because Jenna, anything you want to share, I know, obviously I know more about your feeding with Noah, but I, I don't know. I don't know if you know how much your message just meant to Jenna as well um with just her experience with Noah so it's just like (laughs) such a beautiful moment right now
1: I mean Sam nailed it but I think it's interesting what everything that you said I had an opposite experience with like my child, we were joking, like my cousin's baby's three months old and she's like 15 pounds. And I was like at three months, I'm pretty sure Noah was like still at birth weight. Like he just would not gain weight. And this, I had done so much work on myself prior to pregnancy and pregnancy of like staying away from the scale and like, you know, healing my relationship with food, body and self. And I was, my parents and my husband actually took away the baby scale from me. Because I was weighing him before and after every feed because he wasn't gaining weight. Um, So I had this exact opposite experience that you mentioned. And I pray to God, Sam has your experience uh, because it sounds so much nicer. But for me, you know, I get that anxiety about his growth, or I did a lot more about his growth when I would go to the doctor's office. And I started to think as you were talking, like, you know, he has caught up. And like you said, like he eats when he's hungry and I fully trust his cues. Um, But as parents, like that obsession and that anxiety, I can see how that can be passed onto the kids when they can start to really comprehend what those conversations mean. And it's kind of given me this like whole insight from this conversation of how to approach that when he gets older. And when we go to the doctor, because I'm sure that can be really tricky. Um, So your insight was just so helpful. Thank you
2: it's such an emotive thing isn't it it is and well done for <laughs> 16 months like gosh yeah it's the first the first bit I, I mean my issue with sleep I had my daughter my second daughter wouldn't sleep and that was always linked with food and I remember people saying I'll oh, give her a top-up feed that will make her sleep and have you tried this and have you tried that and it's because she's not getting enough milk and I just remember like just wanting to shut myself away sometimes and just have no one tell me anything. I just didn't want (laughs) everyone else's opinions (laughs) and the internet didn't always help either.
0: (laughs) I love that parallel that you you're talking about though, of like parenthood or parenting culture and diet culture, right? Because when we look at diet culture, it's placing that external, um, emphasis and like trusting the rules or other people or the calories or the macros or the diet or the meal plan. And then the same thing with parenting, right? All of the, uh, elder generations are like, this is what you need to do. This is what's best for your baby. Did it, but coming back to trusting that motherly instinct that like, you know, what's best for your child. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and and I love, you know, so much of today's message has been about like giving yourself grace. You're not going to have it figured out overnight. Like this is a journey. And so I think there's just, there's so many parallels with motherhood and diet culture, you know, uh, as well and, and figuring out those relationships. So I'm very, very grateful for this conversation from both of you mamas today. Cause I think it's, it's a much needed conversation.
1: I'm so excited for you, Sam. Like, this is a big day. (laughs) We get to share it with you, and everybody does. Um, But Molly... I, Sam and I, like we said before we pressed record, we're stalking all of your Instagrams and links. Um, and you share so many incredible statistics. And I think our listeners specifically love to hear those. Can you share some stats about body image issues with children, like the ages that are impacting and really what you're seeing with the trends. I'm sorry if you just heard my husband mm-hmm. speak as well. Um, <laughs> the trends <laughs> of um, what you're seeing with this connection and where it's mm-hmm. starting. Good.
2: Sure. Um, so over here in the UK in 2021, um, the Women Inequalities Commission, which is a cross parliamentary group, they released a huge report here in the UK into body image. And they did um, a lot of research and interviewed a lot of experts. And there were lots of stats and, and recommendations that were brought up as part of that report. A lot of the recommendations, sadly, were just completely disregarded by the government over here, Um, and their recommendations included things like urgently assessing um, the programme that we have here in England called the National Child uh, Measurement Programme, which sees children getting weighed in school when they are in reception, which is when they first start school, when they're like four and five, and then again when they're in year six, which is when they are um, 10 and 11, Um, and So one of their reasons for urgently wanting that to be assessed is because their research found that 66% of children in the UK feel bad about their body most of the time, which is a really shocking statistic that that I I found that really shocking. Um, When I was researching my book, I remember really wanting to dispel this myth that that body image disruption is just something that teens or tweens experience it's not just something that children experience when they're going through puberty and their bodies are changing or when they start using social media because that is often what i hear from older generations is oh we didn't have this in my day it's all the it's all because of social media it's because they're looking at filters on instagram or tiktok or whatever and actually the research shows that children can feel bad about their bodies and display anti-fat bias as young as age three and there was a study that was done that found that um They interviewed a whole load of nursery workers, again in the UK, and lots of the nursery workers and people in early years education uh, recorded conversations that they'd overheard from kids, little kids, little toddlers as young as three years old, talking about fat in a negative way, body shaming other children, body shaming themselves, saying that their bodies are wrong, three-year-olds. You know, we know that 34% of five-year-old girls are already talking about needing to go on a diet. We know that um, one in five girls are not raising their hand in school for fear of being judged over the way that they look. 24% of boys are not engaging in PE because they're ashamed about their bodies. These are really pervasive, important, urgent issues. This is a a public health crisis. And I believe that um, the situation is similar in the US. I quoted a lot of studies that had also you know, in the U.S. and also in Australia as well. So this isn't just a U.K. issue. Um, and I personally feel after having, you know, interviewed so many people and done so much research on this subject and run so many workshops and heard so many lived experience stories that actually one of the things that is really contributing to this issue is that at the same time, we're seeing a parallel, we're seeing body image disruption on the rise among children and and children experiencing really, really serious, urgent issues to do with food and their bodies at a younger and younger age. And it's on the rise. So um, the most recent research in the UK, the most recent stats from the NHS are that the number of children being admitted with eating disorders, it, it had already doubled in a decade and it's gone up again by over 40%. The number of children being diagnosed with eating disorders children not just teenagers but children like preteens um but at the same time we're also seeing a more and more aggressive uh, approach uh that is just completely promoting weight stigma so you know i'm not going to use the o word but they it's completely about the o word epidemic and i'm deliberately not using that word because it's stigmatizing um but essentially children are yet learning at a really young age that it's bad to be fat that fat is bad that you can tell how healthy someone is by being fat that the reason that someone is fat is because they eat the quote unquote wrong food that there are right foods to eat and wrong foods that some food is good and some food is bad and some bodies are bad and they're learning this right in their preschool settings you know and it's no wonder that we're also at the same time seeing children displaying anti-fat bias and weight stigma in the playground and we know that kids in higher weight bodies are more likely to be bullied at school 63 percent more likely to be bullied at school according to the world health organization so it is a real issue and um i think that when i speak to educators about this we run workshops um a body happy or that's like one of the things that we do and often when we're talking to people we're talking to the people who don't even they've never even heard of the term diet culture so they they don't know they don't know what weight stigma is they 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 are just coming from the point where maybe they even went you know maybe they they're, they're on a diet right now so they're coming to it completely right at the beginning and when you kind of present them with some of this evidence and you then show them like where are these some of these messages coming from and you sort of lay it all out. Um, Often people end the session, you know, quite shocked and almost like, whoa, almost wishing that they didn't know it because it is like lifting the lid off Pandora's box, you know, Um, and once you take the lid off, you can't put it back on, unfortunately.
0: That is such a good analogy there. And I feel like that's what happens with dietitians with intuitive eating. We're like all causing harm and putting people on restrictive diets. And then we learned about intuitive eating and anti-diet and weight stigma. And then it's like, oh shit, we can't go back. Like there's no turning back. Um, It takes a lot of unlearning, a lot of time. Um, But I think this comes back. First of all, thank you for sharing all of those stats. And I know like we're going to share and link all of your Instagram accounts and, and website, which I know has a lot more research and and those stats listed for those who, you know, maybe didn't realize how, how much of an issue this is, um, and are feeling a little bit of that overwhelm and like, maybe I should just shove this box like back under the bed. Like maybe I'm not even going to open it. What would be like your one message you want people to walk away from this episode with of, you know, if they don't remember anything else, where they can start, what they can do and to walk away with a little bit of hope and feeling like, okay, I I can, I can take this baby step.
2: Well, think about the influence that you have on your kid's life. You're the most important person in their life. And you can't unfortunately shield them from these messages because they're going to come For them at some point. So, if you haven't done any of this unlearning yet, or you you're sort of you've been putting it off, like now is a really great time to do it because you're in such a privileged, honoured situation where you get to really be, you know, the 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 most important person in this little person's life, and really it could also really benefit you as well. And I just think the freedom that comes with not having to Um, you know engage in in this kind of oppressive culture it can be incredibly freeing on an individual level but also the way I look at it as a parent is um, I'm really lucky in the sense that neither of my kids yet and I say yet because it could still happen have ever expressed feeling bad about their body so I guess they're in the minority stats at the moment of not yet having you know expressed any body dissatisfaction but that doesn't mean that I don't need to worry about this subject because for me it's not just about raising children who are friends with their own bodies it's about raising children who treat other people with bodies that don't look or function like their own with respect and dignity and being kind to other kids in the playground regardless of what they look like or how their bodies function and and actually not just being kind but advocating for those kids as well so you know stepping in if they if they are aware that a child's being bullied or they 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 see weight stigma firsthand um or any kind of body-based oppression or bullying Um, and so i think that just just this one it's it, i i said it earlier all bodies are good bodies and it's an affirmation that that um that i regularly kind of use with my kids and i think that that is it it sounds like such an easy statement but it's quite a difficult one because there are so many messages telling us otherwise but i think coming back to that all bodies are good bodies all bodies are good bodies all bodies are worthy bodies and Really interrogating that and thinking about that, and thinking about how you can you how you can bring that into how you parent. So you know whether it's learning about you know um, thinking about ways about you know how are you going to feed your children, um, taking the restriction away, um, thinking about you know how we talk about bodies. Like I said earlier, all of these things come back to that statement: all bodies are good bodies. There are no bad bodies. You know, our bodies work so hard for us and our kids' bodies are amazing. And I think just allowing them to know that every single day, either through, you know, um, talking about how amazing our bodies are. What have our bodies done for us today? You know, and then also doing the more serious stuff, like pointing out when those bad body messages are coming and having a chat with our kids about it in an age appropriate way never too early to start talking you know building those critical thinking skills and media literacy skills kids watch peppa pig right from the age of 2 and there is a lot of body shaming on peppa pig so like pointing out you know how might daddy pig feel when peppa pig is talking about his tummy in that way you know why do you think that they've put that you know how might that make someone else feel you can have those conversations with really little kids and it it goes a long way so it's never too early to start it's never too late to start And um, I think also giving yourself a break, knowing that you just, all you can do is the best that you can do. We're not going to have this stuff figured out overnight, but just keep trying because it is important.
1: There's an episode of Coco Melon that it, apparently it's an old nursery rhyme that I just have never heard before, and it's all about like hiding your eating sweets. And I heard the babysitter was watching with my son a couple weeks ago, and that episode came on, and I heard her say, "Oh, mommy doesn't like this episode," <laughs> and went right past. And I was like, yay. Uh, I'm like, at least it's getting into somebody's brain, right? But you have shared just so much today. And I think I can speak for both Sam and I when I say that we could talk to you forever about this topic. I have so many other things I want to add, but I know it's late over there. So, let's leave our listeners with like this cliffhanger and let them know where they can find more about you and your work. And I don't think we've actually even said the name of your book. So can you share that too, so that people can find you? (laughs)
2: Um, So my book is called Body Happy Kids, How to Help Children and Teens Love the Skin They're In. And it's not been published in the US, but you can get it on, on places like Book Depository, um, I think you have you that's you that you get book depository and they offer like worldwide shipping. But also, um, I run a non profit called the Body Happy Organization, and I save <laughs> at least fifty percent of our orders. So we sell books, including my own book, and we sell. Um, we've got like an affirmation card game that we designed called, and they're called Pocket Boosters, and they're a really cute, great little resource that you can use with kids. Um, and we also sell lesson plans so we sell lots of teaching resources and we do cpd workshops with teachers educators youth workers also foster carers anyone who works with children and we've just recently started doing student sessions as well where we 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 go into schools but also we've done some virtual sessions i've got a meeting with a school who want me to do one in italy (laughs) so um, it's possible that we could we've had inquiries from people in the us who are interested in in one of, in, it's not just me, there's a whole team of us. Um, so um, yeah, you can you can order my book through, I guess there's a long-winded way of saying, you can order my book directly from the Body Happy Organization, bodyhappyorg.com, if you can't get it in um, your library or, or bookshop, local bookshop in, in the US. Um, and yeah, the nonprofit I run is called the Body Happy Organization, CIC, Body Happy Org for short. And our website is bodyhappyorg.com. And we're on Instagram and I'm on Instagram, um, all the usual regular
0: places. (laughs) Awesome. And people can find you on Instagram at bodyhappyorg and Molly J. Forbes. So thank you so much, Molly, for all of the, the knowledge bombs that you dropped today. We're so grateful for this conversation.
2: Thank you. It was really nice and good luck.
1: Good luck.
0: I'm so honored to have been part of your last day at work.
1: Thank you. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves and follow along with us on social at What the Actual Fork Pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for a lot more fun.
2: Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore
0: exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.